Oh, do you want to know another great, great lineup? What? I'll, I'll, I'll give you as many guesses as you want because you'll never guess. The lineup with the best net rating in non-garbage time. They've played 258 positions, which is pretty substantial. They're plus 18 per 100 positions, and you'll never guess who it is. Save this for the pod. Welcome back to another episode of the Hoops Temple Podcast. I hope you guys all really liked and enjoyed our last episode. If this is your first episode without Ben Golliver, we're happy that you stuck around. I'm Nathan Schwartz. Joining me from New Zealand, Dylan Williamson. G'day, mate. And joining me from Denmark, Nico Larson. Buckle up, newbies. It's going to be a <laughs> wild ride. Well, I think we're all actually... This is a terrible thing to say coming off of what might be our most publicized podcast, having had Ben Golliver on, but we're all a little bit early burned out. I know I, in preparation for having Ben on, watched 29 games in the first two weeks. Uh, so, you know, averaging two games a day, and I think my wife was about ready to leave me. Kind of sounds like the other co-hosts might be in similar boats. So we're just going to talk a little bit around what we've seen and then some interesting lineups that we've uh, we've been kind of been tracking and monitoring. Dylan, do you want to start us off with uh, the wonders of the Clippers-Hornets game last night? Yeah, I mean, talk about a, a bizarre game, right? So we've got a close game throughout basically the first four quarters. The Hornets start to pull away um, and then cannot make a bucket for about a five-minute stretch. The Clippers just really run away with it late. Luke Kennard's cashing threes and Terrence Mann's the best player on the floor. Um, and the Hornets just cannot get a bucket. It's really bizarre. You know, there are, there are times in that game, in that stretch, where it's just like, how do you not just like slow it down, find like one play, just to get a single bucket, just to like break that seal, get some confidence. And they just literally could not make a shot for like five straight minutes. Was it more of like Hornets just not being able to do anything, or was it just the Clippers were executing flawlessly? I mean, there was, there was some good defense, but there was also just like some like, what the hell is going on? And like some easy misses too, like Kelly Oubre just drove on Luke Kennard. Like Luke Kennard can't contest layups and he just missed the layup. Like you can't really credit the defense for that one. So yeah, it's just a, a bizarre stretch. You think with guys like Lamelo Ball and Gordon Hayward um, that you'd be able to get something, but literally a, a five minute stretch without a single point. Admit it has been a little bit since I've been able to catch either a Clippers or Hornets game. Uh, I believe, Nico, you're in that similar boat here. You've been prioritizing and really keying in on the Knicks. How are they looking to you? It's so weird with the Knicks because we're like one of the best offenses in the league right now and one of the worst defenses, which is just fucking weird. <laughs> one thing that's pretty cool at the moment is seeing how um, Derek Rose is really blossomed up this uh season he is uh, leading the league in uh, plus minus when he's coming off the bench we won against milwaukee bucks with derrick rose being plus plus 31 off the bench and then we just lost against the cavaliers with derrick rose starting and and, and then he was minus 20 uh, as a starter so it seems like it's a good idea to start uh, derrick rose off the bench and um not play against good defenses because like Cleveland is just looking amazing on defense. Knicks wasn't good enough to beat them. Usually Knicks will out-rebound the, the opposing teams, but it's pretty hard to out-rebound 
the opposing team when they have like three seven footers in their starting lineup turns out <laughs> yeah and also like when Ricky Rubio decides that he's all of a sudden a better shooter than uh, Steph Curry then yeah. it turns out that's pretty hard to beat as well <laughs> 37 points 88 percent from the three-point line eight for nine that's amazing even LeBron tweeted about Ricky <laughs> so I was watching the Cavs game a little bit ago and I think it was uh, it was Markkanen, Allen, Mobley, Garland, and Rubio on. That's WS5. They went on this great run. And they, I want to say it was like 10, 12 0. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is the lineup data on this? And I was looking the day after because uh, I watched most of my games the day after. And the lineup data, they were like plus 20 something. Uh, it was insane, but they'd only played five minutes. So I was like, oh, I caught the one five minute stretch let's 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 expand this a little bit and so i was like all right what if i chop off sexton and i just say you know how how good are alan mobley garland and rubio no matter who the fifth guy is just as long as it's not sexton on the floor with them and they had this great uh plus minus and so i tweeted it out and then of course you know you never want to see a guy get hurt uh but i was literally calling for i was like Man, if only we could get more calves minus Sexton, and then Sexton gets hurt, and you have this amazing Rubio performance last night. It just, it, it fully justified the eye test. I'll give you some absurd stats. So the Cavs just starting lineup that swap Rubio in for Sexton. Incredibly small non-representative sample, only 21 possessions. But in those 21 possessions, they're outscoring their opponent by 71 points per 100. They're scoring 166 points per 100 and giving up 95. Like, they're just blowing teams out. And as I say, tiny sample, like, that's going to come down to earth. But let's get more more tricky Ricky out there. Yeah. Well, the four-man data of Rubio, Allen, Garland, Mobley, with Sexton excluded, so he cannot be that fifth man, in 32 minutes of action, they're plus 39 points per 100 possessions, which is just... The, the data is so strong. Like, dump Sexton. Does, does anyone want him? Honestly, I think that they are, like, that's their plan. That they just, you know, he's extension eligible. They're going to have to pay him at the end of this year. Um, I don't think they want to pay him. So they're, they're, I'm sure they're trying to find a suitor. It's just, you know, he's not an easy guy to fit. He's probably going to want more money than he's worth. You're also getting restricted free agency. You've also got the chance that even if you do trade for him and you're willing to give him a decent offer that someone could just come along and, and screw that up. Um, so his value from a trade perspective has got to be super low at the moment. What about Dallas? They need uh, a new home for Przingis, right? And uh, Lowry's out. He's going to miss a few games. What if you added another seven-footer to that rotation? I mean, I guess uh, Przingis' best like ability at the moment is just being a spot-up shooter, so why not just use him as the shooting guard of the Cleveland Cavaliers? That makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I, I definitely think that Cleveland is going to be moving on from Sexton. That's definitely going to happen, I think. How fast has he fallen? I still think he's got a lot of value in terms of he's an exciting player. thing is, I don't think there's a lot of like contending teams and stuff that want to get him on the team because it doesn't look like he's the kind of guy who makes the team better necessarily. I think that might have been something that Ben mentioned last week. It's just like, right. yeah, Sexton like, scores like 20 points a game, but he has the most empty stats of almost any player in the league. Like He will get you buckets and your team will absolutely suck and your offense won't be good. Realistically, he's best suited to like coming off the bench and just being a spark plug, given how, how young he is, 
the box score numbers that he's able to put up, like I think that's going to be sort of a hard sell to to get him to buy into that role. And at the same time, are you going to give up assets and and probably have to overpay him to to be your sixth man? I think you'll you'll need to look at the bottom tier teams in terms of getting a good trade for him. I mean, interesting things like trading him to Orlando for like Gary Harris and some of those guys might be interesting because, you know, how good is Cleveland going to be? Are they going to sustain this level of play? Because if they are, I mean, the league is wide open at the moment, so they they could easily get into the playoffs. So why not get some of those Richmond guards and stuff that are kind of stuck on other teams? such as a Gary Harris. Yeah. Actually kind of like the opposite sort of trades. You know, we just said Sexton maybe doesn't have... Trade him to the Lagos for uh, Westbrook? <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I'm, out. I'm out on Westbrook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, do- he doesn't have the maybe the best fit. Like, he's not going to be your starting point guard of the future. Like, he's going to be a sixth man. So, you know, what, what type of team should trade for that is... You know, a team that that needs that that already has a solid established starting lineup, um, and with his salary, he actually fits quite nicely into you know into contending teams. Where okay, you're gonna have to overpay him next year. Next year is gonna be rough, but for now, like you can trade something pretty minor to match salaries, um, and then you know, per dollar, maybe his production is not so bad. Maybe get Philly to give up something and get him over there. Yeah, Philly yeah. shoot. <laughs> yeah, it's, we're not that far removed. Yeah, I don't know if you guys remember early in last season, but Sexton single-handedly dueled Brooklyn to double overtime. He didn't score that much in the first, well, in regulation, basically. But once it was like 25 points in the second overtime with him hitting you know, big shot after big shot. So I don't know. I, I'm not fully out on him yet. If like a Denver or a... Even a Dallas could pick him up cheap and try to have him as a as an off the bench scorer. Yeah, you, know, you have to be willing to pay him next year. But Golden State, hey, maybe Golden State tries to move Wiggins for him and just to give Cleveland some value back. You know, the return of the prodigal son, the number one pick that never was. Yeah, I mean that's the kind of trade that that I'd be looking for. Right, like you don't have to match Seller that much. Like Dallas could just about do it for Willie Cauley Stein. Um, I don't know what their pick situation is, but like they're Firsts aren't going to be that good, so maybe you, you know, Cleveland get to win the press conference and say we we got a first round pick out of them. You know, it's going to be a pick in the twenties, which is not that great. Although they probably owe all their picks to New York, but something along those lines. Like you can, he's making like six million dollars. Like you don't have to give up that much to match the salary. And if you accept that Cleveland's out on him, he's a pending free agent. He's, you know, not as good as what his box score numbers are. That you know, you sort of make the case. Why would I give you value for this? Um, and, you know, if Cleveland can get just matching salary and the first round pick, like, I think that's perfectly reasonable return. Um, so a trade like that to a to a good team that could just use some scoring punch off the bench. Denver desperately need any offense they can get from a guard. So that would be a, a nice one for them, too. They might need a little bit more than just a single pick, but picks are not as valuable, especially under the new system with the lottery having so much variance. Although that could be an argue that mid-tier picks now have more value, but... You know, you just saw Vucevic get traded essentially for two draft picks. Drew Holiday was traded for three draft picks, but also Pelicans had to take back a lot of negative contracts. I mean, how are you enjoying watching uh, Eric Bledsoe? Is that is that a fun time for you? Oh, man. Hey, he, he hit a three last night for the first time in like a week. 
People laughed at me when I was joking that the Pelicans just needed to move him. Just just get rid of him before yeah. last season. I remember I had come up with my three-team trade to send James Harden to Charlotte uh, for a Lamelo Lonzo package and to have both ball brothers together in Houston. And then like Rozier was going to go and they were going to dump Bledsoe. It was a great trade. I liked it. It made me laugh. It actually would have worked out better than the return that Houston got for Harden. Probably a lot of picks thrown in, but yeah. Anyways, I think Sexton has some value. He's still pretty young. He's 23, 24, average 20 points per game for his whole career. Uh, he's just, he's off to a really rough start. His individual plus minus is negative, basically 18 points per 100 possessions. So despite the fact that Cleveland's been good, it's been good in spite of him uh, and not him. Mm. While we're on Cleveland, there's been a stat kind of thrown out that of the past 20 years, most contenders have a record of 7-3 and three or better through the first 10 games. So what if we kind of look at those 7-3 and three teams with a little bit of forgiveness because we're recording this on Monday the 8th and some teams are still sitting at 9 games. So Phoenix, they're sitting at 8. Technically, they could hit 7-3, and three, but let's just kind of look at some of those 7-3 and three teams of which the Cleveland Cavaliers are 7 and 4 now but they were 7 and 3 so they do technically qualify. Oh no, sorry, they were 6 and 4, but we're going to count them anyways. Cleveland Cavaliers, <laughs> contender or pretender? <laughs> Flash in the pan N- or they're going to stand. <laughs> they don't they can't, they can't believe that you're serious. <laughs> My brain is trying to wrap around the fact that you're calling Cleveland Cavaliers a contender right now. <laughs> hey. I, I couldn't I couldn't find a way to make that make sense. <laughs> hey, uh, the they, last um, time they... I mean it's a funny thought. <laughs> I don't necessarily think <laughs> that we're going to see Cleveland Cavaliers as a as a Didn't they kind of do this last year with Andre Drummond? like started out everyone's like oh look yeah. at the Cavs they're, they're a little bit feisty um, and then they're one of the worst teams in the league again um, you can kind of get the feeling that it's going to be heading more in that direction than um, you know Ricky Rubio finals MVP okay so we, we won't spend much time on Cleveland <laughs> in the contender or pretender but I do think it's kind of fun to look at some of these uh, and just kind of see where they're at at this early stage uh, because you know if you watch as many games as we do I feel like we spent a lot of time watching the games, looking at statistics, but like the mental headcount of who is where in the standings kind of slips away from me sometimes. Right. Like, when's the last time you guys checked the standings? I mean, just now, uh, I think I do it like weekly. <laughs> so I don't check the standings a lot. I mean, I check, I check like the daily games, see who's mm-hmm. winning and stuff like that. But I rarely look at like the overall picture. But one thing that caught me by surprise is the central division. I mean, it's it's funny to look at that, you know, Cleveland Cavaliers and Chicago Bulls is leading the way. I mean, Box is not coming off, like, running. Um, so, so, yeah. But no, I, I, don't, I don't usually look at, like, the total picture uh, every, like, night. All right, well, if you had a guess, what would be the 76ers record right now? I have the standings up, Nate. Oh, well, yeah. that's no I do, I do <laughs> have it in front of me, but <laughs> but it, but it is surprising. I mean, those two teams at the top of the standings um, in each conference, the Warriors and the and the Sixers, 
and even Miami, who's second in the East, and and the team that's third in the East is even more surprising. Your your co-host is coming in prepared, Nate. Gosh, I kind of like it when you guys don't come prepared. I could be, I could throw some <laughs> some crazy things at you. But all right, contender or pretender, this Philadelphia 76ers team. I was watching them play the other night, and they were doing my favorite Don Nelsonism, which is putting four small guards around a really big guy. And so they were like running out Seth Curry, Tyrese Maxey, uh, Shake Milton, and then Furkan Korkmaz uh, around Embiid. And it was just so much shooting and a lot of fun. We're going to chuck it. And then Drummond would come in and he would basically do an Embiid light impersonation. And they're they're really doing well. What um, what are you guys' thoughts? Are, are they real? I, I think so. I, the one thing I, I really think is unsustainable at the moment is their shooting. I mean, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I'm pretty sure like Seth Curry is shooting like 80% or something like that. He's a Curry. It's what they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're shooting better than you can expect them to uh, at the moment, which will come down to earth. But I've been saying this for years, kind of. I don't think Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid is a good pair. Like they don't, their play style just doesn't correlate. It just doesn't fit together. So yeah. now with, with Ben Simmons away from this team, you, you will see Joel Embiid be a better player. The team actually functions now. Yeah. So so they're not necessarily a better team without Ben Simmons. I wouldn't say that. I mean, it's a more coherent bunch, and and we're seeing that now. So that's great. Too bad it took them so long. I'll make one small correction. Without Ben Simmons, they definitely are a better team on offense. Offensively, it just makes way more sense to have guards who can shoot. Yeah. Green and Harris, who can also shoot around Embiid. Defensively, Ben Simmons, for as much as he's... um. Not as good as what he thinks he is. He is a, he is still a great defensive player. So maybe we'll see some some fall off there. But yeah, offensively they've been they've been superb. Looking at cleaning the glasses lineup data, which just pulls together every lineup that's played at least a hundred possessions. Their starting lineup: Maxi Curry, Green, Harris, and Bead is plus seventeen point three, which is the fourth best five man lineup in the league. To your point of is the shooting unsustainable? Probably. You know, quietly, Joel Embiid's not been that great. Like, the Sixers are winning yeah. without Embiid being as awesome as what we're used to. So maybe that shooting comes down, but, you know, is Embiid going to keep playing like this or is he going to get back to how he was playing last year? Um, and if he ends up playing like he did last year, then maybe that does, you know, sort of balance out. And they do remain a great team even once the unsustainable shooting calms down a little. So it's it's small possessions, but I found the exact lineup here. 17 possessions, a total of nine minutes together. But Korkmaz, Milton, Maxi, Curry, and Embiid. Do you want to guess the insane plus minus that that five-man ha- unit had? Is it better than the, the Cavs starters plus Rubio? No, it's it's not quite that <laughs> insane. Oh, sorry, not 17 minutes, nine minutes. It's, uh, it's plus 23 points per 100 possessions. They went on like a 16-point advantage in uh, a few minutes. Just there, they played it twice against the Bulls, and it just—it was a lot of fun. You know, you kind of—they were zoning it up, and beats dropped in the middle, but any of the guards are switching anything. And then they also Harris has been out, and in his role, when they need to play another guy with a little bit of size next to Embiid, they're playing Paul Reed, who is a lot of fun. I'm not sure that he knows how to dribble half the time. <laughs> 
if he gets the ball in open court, he'll kind of push it out ahead of himself. Very stealable, but it, it leads to some nice dunks when he gets the opportunity. Yeah, if there's one thing that, you know, B-ball Paul is going to give you, it's, you know, he's going to be going all out at all times. So are we are we buying Philly might actually remain in contention, at least as a dark horse? I don't think we have them as favorites because I think we're all still on the Brooklyn, Milwaukee Lakers. Or, or are we dropping off the Brooklyn, Milwaukee Lakers? I guess that's a fair question. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to do that yet, but. We'll answer the the first question first. Like, can Philly remain one of the best teams in the East? Absolutely. Like, is it realistic that they'll end as a top four seed again? Absolutely. Are they a contender, a team that we expect to really challenge for a championship? You know, a team built entirely around one guy who's also a big man who he he's got a lot of ball handling skill, but being a big man, you're still dependent on your teammates. And Philly, like Billy, have anyone that can you know, bring the ball up the the floor as an actual playoff team not so much but could they be a top four seed absolutely i remember when we were working on the top 100 and we finished it and i sent it to ben because we we'd started our talks to have him on the pod back then and he's like yeah i'm in on vacation i'll, I'll get to this later oh yeah and it beats way too high and largely due to those injury concerns because i think Embiid, when fully healthy is unarguably in that top five consideration on any given night, like he could be the best player. It's just that health concern. But I, don't know, I thought it was interesting because they've been without with Simmons, and they've actually been without uh, Tobias Harris for a little bit. He's he's only played in six of their ten games, so just something to keep an eye on. Maybe Philly's gonna be better than expected. Maybe all they need is a little bit off the bench scoring from uh, Colin Sexton. Yeah, he's got to be better than uh, Furkan Korkmaz, who. I think had his career best game against Chicago. Uh, was it seven or eight threes less? Was it seven? Yeah, seven threes, seven for nine. All right, what about in the West? Golden State is eight and one. Are they legitimately back? Are, I mean, they're ahead of schedule. Clay has not even returned. Wiseman has not returned. They're looking good. Jordan Poole has played good, but not to the level that everyone was really hyping him up to be in the preseason what uh what say you of their chances of being the being in the contender conversation the west is just wide open at the moment and of course they are in in, in contention i mean they're they're way better than i expected and, and i think even even the teams in the nba is kind of surprised by how good they are Golden state warriors is slowly becoming the team that i watch most besides knicks just because i think their offense at the moment is just so cool to watch like that, the way they are just using screens better than any team in the league. Like Steph Curry, low key, he's got to be like one of the best screening point guards in the league. They're just playing for each other, and that's great. I love to watch that. Yeah, and I mean, you you bring up their offense, but it's actually on the other yeah, end that the defense is weird. That they've been great there, according to Cleaning Glass. They're the number one defense in the entire league right now. Yeah. So weird. as awesome as their offense is with, you know, Steph Curry, the greatest shooter of all time, and, you know, an engaged Draymond. Iguodala had 10 assists off the bench the other night. You know, you got Gary Payton the second catching lobs and, you know, just a bunch of guys doing their job and finding a way to succeed. It's defensively that they've been winning games mostly. Defensive rating of 97. That's pretty damn good for a starting lineup of Stephen Curry, Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins. Kevin Looney and, and Draymond Green. 
y'all can't be pulling up the stats on all of these. How am I supposed to have fun little games? <laughs> and the, the thing that's also impressive, if I can just say one more thing, about Golden State's defense is, you know, if you go into four factors, you can kind of sometimes pick out things that are unsustainable. But looking at the four factors, Golden State get it top 10 in each of those. So they're holding opponents to low shooting. They are forcing opponents into turnovers. They're ninth in turnover rate, opponent turnover rate. They're the second best defensive rebounding team in the league, so they're not giving up second chance points. Even though, you know, Looney and, and Draymond aren't the biggest guys, um, they're not giving away any rebounds, which is, you know, fueling their fast break. Um, and they're also not fouling, even though they are forcing turnovers. So you sort of combine all of those, and it's like, okay, well, maybe opponents start hitting more shots. You know, they are hitting a fairly low percentage on three-pointers. So maybe some of those threes start to fall and the effective field goal comes up. Well, they're still, you know, going to be turning it over and not getting any rebounds and not getting free throws that's sort of something that can indicate some sustainability in that defensive rating all right am i to assume that you guys have all of the team stats up (laughs) i I pay good money for this cleaning the glass subscription (laughs) i've got i've got that right next to your beautiful face in this in in my screen all right lower it down (laughs) and i'm going to use a different site i'm going to use basketball reference because i don't have this kind of disposable income that you're just throwing at cleaning the glass what is that 10 bucks a month something like that might be even less yeah yeah it's too rich for my blood (laughs) the golden state warriors are first in the league in all of these categories but one points per game three points per game defensive rebounds and assists per game sorry defensive rebounds per game which one are they not first in the league in rebounds defensive rebounds uh assists per game and what points was the points? Points per game? At three points per game. So points per game and three pointers made per game. And I actually meant to throw in one more in there. Margin of victory. So which of the five? If are they not number one? I'm gonna guess that's a trick question to say they're not they don't make the most threes. Nico? I'd guess they are kinda of high in, in, in terms of assists, because they're running around so many screens, so there's a lot of handoffs which may lead to assists. Defensive rebounds. That could be pretty high as well because there's a lot of free punch shots coming up. I'm, I'm going to go with the defensive rebounds. Dylan, you are right. It is a trick question. They're number one in all of those. They are number one in points per game, <laughs> rebounds, defensive rebounds per game, assists per games, three-pointers made per games, and the margin of victory at this current moment. They have had kind of an easy schedule uh, with yeah. games against the Pelicans, two games against the Thunder, and... Actually, probably one of the Lakers' most competitive games. Uh, but I'm now lumping the Lakers in with those teams that are really struggling. Hmm. Oh, and Houston. You probably shouldn't mention Lakers too much. Yeah, Listen, the league. If I can jinx them into being good, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Really seems like the league tried to um, set it up so that the Warriors and the Lakers would um, get off to a hot start. Yeah. And, and at least one of those came true. Yeah. You know, a lot is made of those early season starts. And this is actually something that I really like with another team in this grouping. Uh, the Washington Wizards, who are 7-3, and three, which is our baseline minimum contenders you know, threshold. The, the Wizards played a lot of teams that are going to be fighting them for that 5-10 through 10 seed in the East. And picking up some really early wins against them is super beneficial before when it comes down to that tiebreaker time. I know it's... Washington might look like they're limping into the playoffs because they're going to have a, a little bit harder of an end of the season schedule, but they got 
couple wins over Boston, over Toronto, over Indiana, uh, over Atlanta. These are these are good wins to have come uh, come final standings time. Yeah, man. Isn't this also just the worst uh, case scenario in terms of bringing Bradley Beal? Also that, I guess. But like Westbrook's Res- uh, like resume, I guess. He left that team and, and now they're better because they got a lot of like good role players. I mean, which which team is worse for having gotten rid of Westbrook? Oklahoma. They're uh, they rebuilt quickly. They're not rebuilt quickly, but they've got a lot of young, exciting players. We're all in the Poku fam and boy wagon, I think. You guys still on the Poku train? Yeah, I guess. Poku party. As a joke, I don't think he's actually good. Hurtful? <laughs> we will remember this when we when we raise the Poku banner high. <laughs> well, when he when he wins his third MVP, you can um bring this podcast back. Trade. Yeah, we will. You know, the Washington but, Wizards are doing well. Houston's got a fun, exciting team. Not good, but I just want to say that it's a bad time to be a Westbrook fan. Everything that could go bad just went bad. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, not not just as a Westbrook fan, but as a as a Lakers fan. Yeah, I guess. So you got Westbrook, doesn't play very well. You can excuse that by like, you know, he's always a slow starter. He's always better yeah. come, you know, after the all-star break and stuff. So hmm. you, can, you can excuse that. Then he's also just, it seems like he don't want to talk to the press really. I mean, he's pissed every time he's in a press conference. I mean, you can excuse that by him being mad at not playing well. And then also the Wizards are playing super well. <laughs> Just salt to the wounds. Um, but I haven't watched the Wizards. Have you guys caught any Wizards games? Like, is, who's who's making the biggest difference on that team? Is it Spencer Dinwiddie or is it Kuzma all of a sudden being a good player? Or what's going on down there, up there? Look, they're, they're getting contributions sort of all over. You know, Bradley Beal's still the guy. Mm-hmm. Dinwiddie actually being kind of a disappointment compared to, you know, I was super high on Dinwiddie. What's been most interesting is that it's actually defensively that's that's making the difference. You know, like the Warriors, you you watch the Wizards. Um, you have a general idea about the Wizards and you assume that, you know, okay, their offense must be awesome. And that's how they're in um, Nate's definition of contender. But again, it's actually their defense that's been... That's been getting it done, and they've got their defensive statistics are super weird in that they are number one in opponent effective field goal percentage allowed, um, as in they allow the lowest opponent effective field goal percentage, and they are number one in opponent location effective field goal percentage, which is basically the idea that they give up the hardest shots in the league, so they're not giving up shots at the rim, they don't give up three pointers. Um, and their opponents are taking a lot of you know tough mid ranges. But what's sort of interesting is that their opponents shoot really well at the rim. So when they do get to the rim, you know there's there's no deterring effect. Um, their opponents have made 161 of 236 rim attempts, which is which is pretty bad. And their opponents are missing all of their threes, which is you know that's number one prime for regression. Your defense is going to come back down. So, like, there's some weird luck stuff going on, but from, like, a coaching perspective, seeing number one location of E field goal percentage, that's that's a good sign. Like, they're playing well. Their defense has, has good principles, and they're giving up difficult shots. 
Um, so even if that percentage does come down a little bit, which it definitely will, you know, this is one of the worst defensive teams for like the last five years. Um, and even once those that three-point percentage comes up a little bit, and even the mid-range is, is pretty low, uh, once those regress to the mean and, and come back to a normal rate, just based on these shots that they're giving up. What the uh, situation is with Daniel Gafford, he was kind of, I guess he missed a couple games and he's back in the lineup now. Uh, I haven't caught a, a Washington Wizards game for a little bit, uh, but I watched their double overtime win over Boston. And when you say that they have no rim protection, oh boy, don't they? Uh, they were they were using Montrezl Harrell, which I know you from your Clippers days, me from my Lakers days, love Harrell as a... Very good offensive player. Yeah. Yeah, rim protector, not so much. Uh, and then when he picked out in foul trouble, they're like, all right, cool. We're going with Davis Bertans at center, and he'll protect the rim. So, you know, Gafford's back. You know, he's only playing about 20 minutes a night. Maybe he can protect the rim a little bit better. That that might be be something they can improve on. But, yeah, you know, I wouldn't say that any of the former Lakers have looked good when I've watched games. Or I wouldn't say that they've looked consistently good. Like, Kuzma will have five or six possessions where he looks really nice, and then five or six where he's hot garbage. Harold, kind of same thing. Offensively, usually pretty high. Defensively, pretty low. Contavious Caldwell Pope will defend his man, will make an open shot, but then when asked to make a decision, will we'll throw it away. So I think there's a lot of luck, but you kind of got to get lucky in these early season scenarios. You know, you're going to gonna get some of the tiebreakers and i think that's that's got some really good long-term advantages for them uh, i'm not gonna put them in the contender status but i think they're definitely now a playoff lock or a, a, at least a top eight seed they'd lock yeah i'll give you some projection numbers on that yeah using 538's elo model it, it adjusts more sort of week to week based on based on how teams are playing they project them with a record of 46 and 36 which is a 73 percent chance of making the making the playoffs you know from a team that a lot of people had as like a 9 10 11 seed you know now now models are saying there's a 73 percent chance that they're going to make the playoffs it's awesome and hopefully they won't get swept in the first round this year well we've kind of danced around them for a really long time but we've not really ever actually discussed the miami heat you know they are a team that we all thought would be a much better playoff team than regular season team they're seven and two, so they're at least going to meet the seven and three criteria to be considered a contender. Uh, there was a an early stretch there where they were was it number one on defense, number four on offense, so top five in both, which is high contender status. Uh, are are either of you guys willing to vault them into the favorites category? Yeah. Ooh, that was fast. It's just a good team. It's just well built. They're good defensively. They can defend. They don't have a big man who can't defend in the playoffs it's just a good team and Tyler Heroes is, is good again mm. so that's great I'd say they are probably the um, they're looking like the, the the top team in the East at the moment I'll give yeah. you that much I'll, I'll give you the Tyler Hero stats so that we've got them and he's, he's played every one of their games hasn't started any um, every one of those is off the bench 21 points 5.7 rebounds 3.9 assists shooting 47 43 82 like he's getting buckets, he's getting rebounds, he's moving the ball, and he's scoring efficiently. One other interesting thing that they've got going on is Jimmy's also having an awesome season. Um, he's averaging almost twenty-five points a game, and you know doing it efficiently. Um, and what's interesting is that 
you know, there's there's been a lot made about the league's um, you know, sort of point of emphasis on on foul drawing this year and how that's affecting guys like James Harden and you know, some some of these other guys that really rely on on drawing fouls. Well, Jimmy Butler's getting to the line for eight point six free throws a game. Like Jimmy Butler is still getting getting fouls and drawing fouls and using that to boost his efficiency. Um, so he takes one three pointer a game and makes it at twenty three percent. Like that's that's pretty rough. Like even though he shoots fifty percent from the field, you still need better than that to to make your offense efficient. And he boosts that by getting to the line. Um, and knocking down his free throws. And I think that's something that we could see guys like James Harden maybe adjust to, where Jimmy Butler is not getting these these free throws based on getting his guy in the air and leaning into him or, you know, getting contact on jump shots. Like Jimmy Butler's just driving inside, being stronger than the guy he's going against and, you know, sort of using that strength to create the shots rather than using his elusiveness or his ball handling to create create free throws like James Harden did. And Harden's a strong guy too. Like he can he could he's got a very solid body. Like he could draw fouls in that same way. So I wonder if that's something that we see Harden adopt. Um, but in the meantime, Jimmy's getting it done and using those free throws to create efficient offense. And per cleaning the glass, Miami's still top five on both offense and defense, which is sort of a, a good indicator of, you know, a, a legit contender. One thing I'll just say from the eye test, uh, I was watching them play Utah the other day. When Miami got going, Miami was really good. You know, Bam, it, it, it might have been because he was going up against Gobert and Whiteside, but if he got a rebound and pushed, it was an instant bucket. It was an easy, easy transition, um, something that he could do that really set him apart. As soon as they got into half-court setups, and once again, you know, he's going against Gobert a lot of the time, he looked kind of rough and you're not going to go up against Gobert all the time. Miami has a really slow team though. Uh, they're 28th in the league in pace. I don't know if they've got time to switch that. I also don't know if you're really going to want to switch that because everything slows down the playoffs. But I just think with, uh, with the way Hero kind of gets in there and will toss up a quick shot uh, with Bam's versatility, I think they've got a lot of potential to play really fast that I think could be really interesting for them to try to try to improve and maybe take this thing to another level. That's one thing I love more than anything in the NBA, and that's to root for the underdog team. And I, I watched Miami Heat the other night, kind of with one eye, because it was like at 3 a.m. and I was only awake because my daughter woke me. But anyway, like I, I was watching the Miami Heat and, and I was just being kind of annoyed because they were way better than I like expected. So I can't root for them as an underdog anymore <laughs> and to me that's an indicator that they are definitely good enough to be a playoff i guess a championship contender and also like uh, in terms of annoyed like kyle lowry is there anyone more annoying than him in the league like i mean sure J- james harden is is known for flailing around and you know but i kind of feel sorry for, for the guy like like large parts of his offense has just been taken away like kyle lowry man you can just see every single defender on him. It's just they're so close to getting technicals all the time because they're so pissed at the refs <laughs> for calling stupid-ass fouls. Kyle Lowry is just a master. I mean, he's a fucking artist in terms of just making these little things like little shoulder in, in the side of the, the, the defender and, you, you know, the small things that get in, in, in players' heads. And you can just see it. 
the, the people defending him is just always so frustrated. And even the refs is just like sh- shaking his head and shrugging it off and stuff. Because they know Kyle Lowry is doing that shit. Uh, he's just so great at selling stuff. I mean, if I can combine both of your points and talk about Kyle Lowry and talk about pace, I think that's sort of been something that Kyle has really brought to this team. You know, Nate, you mentioned that they do play at a slow pace and they've done that in in the previous couple of seasons. But when Lowry's on, they really um, kick it up with just, you know, he's just someone who actually does try to push the ball and will kick the ball ahead. Um, He's not going to bring it up slowly. Um, And a perfect stat to reflect that is that when Lowry's playing with with the rest of the starters, Robinson, Butler, Tucker, Adebayo, 20% of their positions start with transition, um, which is super high. That's like, you know, average is somewhere like 15%. So they're getting actually a lot of their positions started with offense um, and they're being very effective in, tran- in transition when they do start those offensive positions in transition. If you just, to sort of give you an idea of how much credit you can give to Lowry on that one, if you just keep that same lineup but swap Tyler Hero in for Lowry, which is their next most used lineup, 9% of their tra- of their offensive positions start with transition. So you're going from 20% to 9%. So that just really shows you another one of those tricks that Kyle Lowry's bringing to juice the offense, to get the speed up, to put pressure on the defense and, and get, you know, really get the team moving. I, I'm always trying to figure out better ways to promote this podcast. And I really think TikTok is like the next way to, to get it out there. Like it's got an algorithm that based on what you like, it'll try to feed things to you. So I'm like, how do I make some TikTok content? And Kyle Lowry is actually the only one that I figured out what to do for because there's a sound going around there. And uh, just just for 100% honesty, my evening routine, like right before I go to bed, is my wife and I watch all of the cute animal TikToks that we've sent each other all day. <laughs> and and there's this one sound that it, it's something, something like you got a cute face and a booty so fat. And it's usually like a cute fluffy dog. And then like, you know, a flat fluffy, like corgis are just prime for this. Yeah. And I just, I just want to put like pictures of Kyle Lowry in there. <laughs> oh. And like, yeah. Whenever I start the Hoops Temple TikTok, that's going to be our first video. It's just, yeah. uh, just yeah. that. I, mean, I just have to learn. That's, that's, that's the easy way to, to juice the algorithms, right? You just got to get some butt pics in there. Yeah. Some, some, maybe some Boris Dio if you want to go. It's just too easy. It's, it's right there. <laughs> let's, let's get it. Let's get some tiktok booty pics going on yeah if any of our new listeners uh want to start and join our, in uh the hoops temple conglomerate maybe we could like boost our female viewership you know like nba <laughs> booties stuff like that <laughs> oh my god i, I don't I, ha- I have i've never installed a tiktok so i kind of don't know what you're talking about but don't worry, you're helping us on Twitter. Totally right. off topic, but I've recently um, joined TikTok. Well, I've had it for a while, but it was just like so bad. Like all the videos that they give me were just so uninteresting that I would just never use it. Um, but TikTok has slowly started to refine, you know, narrow it down to be more relevant to me. Mm-hmm. And, and the funny thing is that they're continuing to narrow it down. They think they've got it so well, but they're just so wrong. Like they are, they are very confident that I am a lesbian woman. Like so many of my, like my recommended videos is like hashtag relatable lesbian relationship memes. I'm like, 
Uh, yep. <laughs> I mean, you are vegan. That's me. Do you have a Subaru? <laughs> Uh, not quite. <laughs> what a place. Well, I'm just thinking, like, it's a good way for us to get our brand out there. Like, you know, it might get, get thrown some people's way. One of my friends ended up on Frog TikTok for way too long. She's like, I mean, I don't dislike frogs, but I don't know if that I need all these frog facts in my life and, like, <laughs> daily frog updates to the Utah Jazz now, I guess. Speaking of frogs. I, I mentioned... Yeah, if you kiss, if you kiss them, do they turn into a prince? I was going for the <laughs> for the French reference, but whatever, Nate. Oh, ah, Rudy Gobert. I, mm. <laughs> I, I see what you're doing here. All right. Uh, I, I mentioned it when we had Ben on, but I've kind of been out on Utah and, and watching them again versus uh, against Miami. They had the exact same problems. Now we've all kind of seen the past year or so. They really heavily tether Mike Conley to Rudy Gobert. Can you guys guess what the uh, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert minutes are? Or like, uh, if you exclude Mike Conley. So Mitchell and Gobert on, Conley off. Yeah, I don't know that Mitchell's been amazing this year. So I imagine it's, I'm guessing, not that great. Like his true shooting is like, where is it? I've got it here. His true shooting is 53%. Like that's well below league average. I'm I'm guessing based on um Mitchell's inability to score efficiently so far this season that the answer is n- not good. Mitchell without Gobert and Conley, the Jazz have a plus 17 points per 100 possessions. Oh nice. Gobert and Conley without Mitchell is negative basically a point per 100 possessions. Huh. Mitchell and Gobert without Conley is positive two points per 100 possessions, which isn't the greatest. Um, It's relatively small sample sizes. We're looking at uh, 52 minutes in their first 10 games with with that kind of lineup out there. Um, But what what worries me is that the two don't seem to mesh. They, They work much better without each other than with each other. Most of Gobert's minutes with Conley, they're they're actually very positive. They had a recent kind of nosedive in the stats when I was preparing this. But then the Gobert minutes without Conley or Mitchell are just absolutely abysmal, negative seven in points per 100 possessions. Utah really just doesn't know how to get much out of Gobert unless he's being actively like worked with with both Conley and Mitchell. And he should be the easiest lob target in the league. Like, he's not bad. Like, Evan Fournier can do it. And Evan Fournier is not good at running the pick and roll. You watch them in FIBA, and suddenly that duo works really well together. It just, the more I watch Utah, the more I'm convinced that I was wrong in thinking that this was finally going to be the breakthrough year. Do you guys have any kind words to maybe talk me off that ledge? Could you just um, summarize that point that you made again? So it's when... Gobert is in without Mitchell, but with Conley. Is that what it was? That those so, lineups are not great? Actually, this year it's kind of been both. Uh, he's not been mm. great with only one of them. Um, traditionally, he's pretty good with Conley. If we look at the larger sample size, he's good mm. with Conley, bad with just Mitchell, uh, and terrible with both. If we look at just this year, he's been bad with Conley, average with Mitchell, and terrible without either. I mean, the terrible without either point kind of makes sense right because if you look at what those lineups are that's jordan clarkson and like 
Trent Forrest as your guards. Like there should never be minutes where you have both of those guys, both of those guys off the floor. Um, so like that that makes sense, and especially once we're in the playoffs, like Trent Forrest is is not going to play a single minute, so that that shouldn't be a problem. And then I just think that like you keep one of those guys in, and the the lineups work fine. Like there's some weird stuff on you know that they've, they've kind of experimented a little bit with these different lineups, but the most common Conley and Mitchell out lineup, interestingly enough, is with Eric Pascal at the four. Um, is is plus fourteen. And you know they they score well and they defend fine. And then you know their their starting lineup is plus fifteen. So like, as long as you keep competent players and like form a lineup that makes sense, like Snyder's play at a lot of different lineups and trying to find what works. And unfortunately, the answer is just keep doing what you've always been doing. The one exception to that is actually. Conley O'Neill, Bogdanovich, Ingles, Gobert kind of sucks for some reason, but that's small sample size. So I wonder if that's sort of dragging down some of those, you know, this guy on, this guy off minutes, um, even though the sort of individual, like five-man lineups that mostly get played are, are good. You wonder if there's some sort of small sample size weirdness there. So I think that, you know, the lineups that are going to get used are good, and some of that weird stuff that's not as plain that is dragging down those numbers is not going to hang around deeper into the season and especially not in the playoffs. Um, so I think if that's sort of your concern, and plus Mitchell's going to get better, those lineups are going to get better. I'm, I'm sort of still in on the Jazz. They might be back to being my you know Western Conference favorite. I just really don't like how he's got two really um, segregated units or kind of striated units where he's got like the Gobert, Conley, Clarkson, Ingles, Pascal. Like that five gets a lot of run together, and then the mm, Mitchell mm. O'Neill, uh, Bojan Clarkson Whiteside, like it's it's almost like a five on five off, um, with a little bit of interchange. The the Ingles Clarkson Bojan kind of interchange a little bit, but it just it, it's I, I want to see the stars play more together and better together. I guess that might be more of my point is that he splits them up for so much time, and when you get to the playoffs and you got short mm. rotations. I'm worried about how they're going to fit together because um, you're not going to have you're not going to have some of those gap times, and he's just playing a lot of these these split units. So maybe that, maybe that'll work itself out. I I don't have a good finger or a good way to describe it. It just it feels wrong, and just watching them play, you know, he'll he'll go with the kind of Gobert lineup with guys. They'll fall a little behind. He'll go with the Mitchell lineup with guys. They'll be okay, uh, and then he'll bring them all together, and they'll be really good. But then he keeps wanting to try these different lineups and or, or not different lineups. He keeps wanting to go with lineup half starters, half bench, then the other half starters, other half bench. And it just it makes me worry that his commitment to this throughout the games. I mean, I don't really want to conclude anything in terms of the uh, Utah Jazz just yet. You tell me 10 games isn't enough. Yeah, I guess. But but I don't think I've watched anything that makes me think that they are going to be worse than they were last season. And I mean, there's still some like parts of that team that isn't kind of there yet. I mean, Rudy Gobert is still looking for his return. And Mike Conley has been out saying that he's excited to see him play again since they played together in Memphis. Eric Pascal is a new addition to this team. And I've, I think that he could really be... a, a big piece uh, for for the utah jazz i wish they were giving pascal some minutes it's at the five 
Yeah, I was, I was going to make the same point. It makes sense that they're experimenting a bit, and I don't think we've seen the best version of Utah Jazz just yet. Yeah, I mean, I don't rule them out in, in any way. Pascal has played just three minutes without Gobert or Whiteside on the court. Yeah, and that's kind of shocking. Like, the the lesson that they were supposed to have learned from last year is, well, supposedly, is, you know, they, they need a stretch five, and so they've got Rudy Gay, they've got Eric Pascal, but then they just play Pascal at the four. Pascal's most used lineup is Conley Clarkson, Ingles, and Gobert, which is plus 14. So it's not like it's disastrous, but you kind of think that, you know, unleashing Pascal as, your, as a small ball five, and then you get more offense on the court. You know, he's not a great defender, but probably more switchable against wing players than Gobert is. Um, you think you get some advantages there, so it's interesting that we haven't seen that yet. I don't think they have enough size to really play Eric Pascal as the five uh, in, in all the other positions right now. But with Rudy Gobert back, I mean, you could play Rudy Gobert as the four and, and Pascal as the five. So, so that kind of gives them another dimension when he returns. You mean R- Rudy Gay? Yeah, I said something else. You said yeah, Gobert. Rudy Gobert. So no, don't don't play Rudy Gobert at the four. Oh, oh I want to I want to see zero minutes this year of Whiteside and Gobert. Yeah, that's too Ru- Rudy's uh, confusing me. Uh, the gay one. Just say Rudy G, and then we'll all know who you're talking about. Yeah, the American, <laughs> American Rudy. Have we got any contenders left, Nate? The last one left would be Brooklyn, who, despite all of the like kind of worrying, it's still seven and three. How do we feel about them? You know, are we are we over the worry? Harden's starting to look like Harden again. He's getting to the free throw line. Uh, I was at a bar the other day and I saw Sadiq Bay strip him, which made me pretty happy. He's so you know maybe he's not fully back yet, but do we really think Harden just learned the wrong lesson from last year, which is that he can show up twenty pounds overweight and not care for the first eleven games and then uh, kick it back into shape? Or what? Uh, what are our thoughts about Brooklyn? Just really quick, I mean, Sadiq Bay is looking great. He's he's awesome. Tell me about it. I I hate living in Michigan right now because yeah. I can't watch Pistons games. They've got the local blackout, and so I have to oh. wait and watch them like three days later. Which by yeah. then there's so many other games that I'm like, you know, do I go back? Do I watch something else? Or, so I I've watched 35 basketball games this year, and none of them have been the Pistons. Yeah, well, I mean. It's not looking so grim in, in Detroit, I think. I think Isaiah Stewart is also looking like a great player in in, in the future. I mean, Sadiq Bey is just... He, he looks like the guy you, you want on a championship team as your second best guy. I mean, maybe even like a Clay Thompson comparison right there. And, and, I, and I feel like in all those like Pistons communities I'm still like part of in, in on social media it seems like there's a lot of worry with with Kate Cunningham maybe not it doesn't seem like he's he's living up to expectations right away which I mean I did warn you guys about this in a few episodes ago <laughs> I did say this like Kate Cunningham he's gonna take it slow and Detroit is gonna take it slow with him you know they're gonna make room for each other and and I don't think we are going to see the best version of Kate Cunningham before like his third year. So, whoa, 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 third year? Yeah. I was hoping like February. He's going to have a slow rookie season, and, and you know, having a slow rookie season, you know, doesn't bode well for your sophomore season. But his third, yeah, that's going to be amazing. Sure. So kind of becoming a 
kind of becoming a recurring segment. Um, you know, once a week, an hour into the pod, we've just got to have Nico was right and everyone else was wrong. <laughs> oh God, what did you say last week that was super right? Um, you said something, and then I, I saw you comment on it. Was it Facebook or Twitter? Oh, jeez, Nate. I mean, he's like, I'm I'm right about so many things. Like, you got to be way more specific. <laughs> I, I can't keep track of this, you know. <laughs> Oh, it was Miles Bridges. No, that was that oh, was that months was... ago. Yeah. It was Shay. It was Shay being one of the best. Car- oh yeah, 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 Shay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, Shay. Oh, I, call, I called out yeah. Ben Gully on that one. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I I love it when ben... you say those things because I'm always just like, okay, Nico, sure, sure. <laughs> and like, I'm like, damn it, Nico caught that one right. <laughs> yeah, you gotta have bold <laughs> takes to get it right, right? Yeah, I mean that logo free. That was amazing. Oh, uh, yeah. I watched that live. That was absolutely filthy. She. I watched it the next morning and just said, fuck Nico. <laughs> but like, Shea is so cool. I mean, his game is just unique. And, and I love when players are, are, you know, bringing personality into that game. And, and I mean, there's no one like Shay. Um, and yeah, I just like him more than Trey Young. So yeah. Gotta show up for th- my guys. Yeah. I kind of think that like, something that I said on, on social media at one point. Um, like, if Shea was in a big market, like, he'd be one of the, like, the biggest stars in the league. Mm-hmm. Like, with yeah. his his personality, sure. like, his off-court style, how awesome he is to watch. Like, if he was in a big market and, like, on a decent team, like, he would be, like, Luca levels of, of popular. Would you rather have Shea or Paul George? I mean, Paul George is, like, the... Like... <laughs> Paul George has been one of like the five best players this year, so I think I'll stick with um MVPG. It's it's funny like Clippers fans have way more love for Shea than like any like guard that's actually on our team. Like all, all well, Clippers yeah, your fans, guards are your guards are terrible. But I mean, like you, like we had Shea for like was it like two seasons? You know, you you normally cheer for your own guys, but Clippers fans like. Shea is just the one player that every Clippers fan still absolutely loves. Like normally, when you trade a guy, you sort of you know, you 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 let him go. Clippers fans like still claim Shea as like one of their own. Yeah, if I had to cheer for Eric Bledsoe and Reggie Jackson, I'd be claiming Luke Kennard. Yeah, yeah. You know, when your team is full of Pistons like discards and not even like good Pistons discards, it's uh, it's a little rough. But Shea is. Shea is absolutely great. He had some slippery moves. Like, I, I don't know what his limb length is, but he had, it wasn't quite a full Euro in that Lakers game. Um, but it was just, just like kind of an awkward, slippery two-step that that really eluded the defense. I can't quite describe what it was, but it was... I think I know the one you're talking about. Like, like yeah. There were two defenders defending him, and like neither of yeah. them contested the shot properly. Like, yeah, like sort of a delayed euro steps. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that's the thing with him is like he's just like so off rhythm. Like, like basketball players like play with a rhythm. Like, there's a rhythm to their to the dribble. There's a rhythm to their moves. There's a rhythm to their steps. Like Shea is just like so off rhythm. Like he just, it's you know. it's almost Christian Anderson or not. It's almost Kyle Anderson. Like if Kyle Anderson was just yeah. Also great. incredibly athletic and skilled. Great comparison. I have another comparison for you. Like, what's the name of that? Uh, you, you know that balloon balloon thingy that is outside American, uh, like uh, 
ka. Um, oh, the like. Yeah, the, the wavy you know, car the band, balloon. Yeah, the wavy car balloon. Yeah. Yeah. No idea what it's called, but I know what you're talking about. So basically, like he's he's Manu Ginobili and uh-huh. the wavy car balloon thingy combined. Just, just Manu had a kid with this like inflatable <laughs> noodle of a balloon. Yeah, that, I mean, it's, it's 2020. You, you mean you mean the wacky wave and inflatable arm flailing tube man? Yeah, exactly. Is is that the name of it? That's what they're called. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Real time research. I, I mean, his movement is just unpredictable. He's got long arms. This this is the analysis you can't get anywhere else, folks. No. SGA's comp is Manu Ginobili crossed with a wacky wave and inflatable arm flailing tube man. That's that's how I'm, that's how I'm always right, you know. <laughs> thinking, thinking outside the box, you know. I think all future comps need to be one inanimate object. Yeah, <laughs> one basketball <laughs> player and a non-human object. Yeah. Right, like uh, but Lou Dort, Williams, and a Rhino. <laughs> oh, that's not even as good. Darren Williams and a Subaru. <laughs> what a callback! Yeah, guys, I think that's I think that's a good stopping point. Do any of you guys have any other interesting lineup oops that you want to uh, bring up on this, or you want to call it at the wacky wavy arm man? I just recently, you know, reinstalled Twitter. So yeah. I'm on Twitter now, right? I mean, tweet at us uh, with your best uh, basketball to a, what did you call it? Non-human entity? Right. <laughs> Give us our best NBA player to non-human entity comparison Nico, Nico, on Twitter. You're, you're such an amateur to this to this Twitter plugging thing. You got to tell the people yes. your handle. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. My handle is... Who, who do they follow? Who do they tweet at? Give me a moment. Give me, give me a minute. <laughs> oh, come on. Your while, handle, while is he, your handle just Nico while, Hoops Temple? So, so uh, tweet at me at Nico Hoops Temple. That's incredibly easy to remember. And also just like tweet at us at Hoops Temple. Yeah. The, uh, right? At Hoops Temple Pod. At Hoops Temple Pod, yeah. Okay. Yeah, apparently uh, Temple University <laughs> snagged Hoops Temple before I could. So, Hoops Temple Pod. Yeah, tweet at us, email us, hoopstemple at gmail.com. Like and follow us. Give us a five star review. If it's, gonna go be, if it's only a three star review, just, just keep that to yourselves. We don't, don't, don't do that to us yet. We're, we're trying to grow, we're trying to build. We don't need mediocrity. Yeah, send us, you can send us constructive feedback, but for the sakes of algorithms, five star reviews only, please. Thank you. Thank you, and farewell. Best five-man lineup is in the NBA. You'll never get it. It's Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, Franz Wagner, Wendell Carter, and Mo Bamba. In 258 minutes, plus 18.2. Best five-man lineup in the NBA over 100 positions.